Hey, if if it's your first time, I just want to say we're so glad you're with us today. For all those who are with us online, um, we're glad you're with us as well. Just as a a quick reminder, last week we had uh, two baptisms, right? I mean, let's praise the Lord for that. Yep. Um, And I wanted to just say, like, if if you have never been baptized, uh, this is a huge celebration for us. Uh, If you have professed faith in Christ, we want to encourage you uh, to go into the waters of baptism, and that's something that you can do. You can speak with us uh, after the service or in the weeks to come. Um, but just as we kind of transition here, we've, we've beginning, we've, we began a journey through the book of John last week. And the purpose of the book of John, uh, we saw, is, to, is that we would believe in Jesus and also find full life in Jesus. Like this is our prayer over this series, that many would believe in the name of Jesus uh, and, and find full life in him. You know, and last week we kind of started this dark alley illustration uh, where if, you know, kind of imagining ourselves in a dark alley uh, and the man, you know, it's kind of cold, it's dark, can't see anything, we're not really sure how we got there. And then a man with a flashlight kind of starts coming around the corner uh, and you're like, wait a second, who, who is this guy? Uh, you're a little nervous, you're not really sure what's going on. Uh, and all of a sudden, like, we're, we're wondering, okay, who is this person? And who that person is makes a big difference. Like, if it's your friend, uh, okay, you're excited, you're relieved. But if it's someone you don't know, then it, it's, it, it can be uh, a little nerve-wracking. Like, who is he? Can we trust him? Is he safe to follow? What are his credentials? And this is what we started to see in the beginning of the book of John. And this is what John is doing with Jesus. Who is, who is Jesus and what's Jesus' purpose? And today in our text, and we're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 18, but we've got a new character to our dark alley illustration, okay? Like imagine with me uh, that you're still in that dark alley, but before that man with the flashlight comes, there's actually someone who comes before him to come and prepare you uh, for, for this, for what's to come. And they're, they're to prepare you for the arrival of this man with the flashlight. So then when your friend with the flashlight comes, you'll be ready to make a decision, asking yourself... Do you follow him or not? And that's what we have today. We've got two men and a choice. You know, I I work for a moving company. It it wasn't two men in a truck, but maybe that's where we got the idea from. Um, So that's what we've got, two men in a truck, two men in a a choice. Uh, Let's let's go ahead and look at verse 6. And we're going to get, we'll we'll see a more detailed outline uh, after we read the the entire section today. This is what it says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So like I said, we've got two men and a choice today. And as soon as I say choice, I'm assuming there's a little bit bit of panic for some because this is just what decisions do to us. 
when we need to make a decision, for many, there's just a level of panic that happens. Uh, for example, some of the sm- smaller decisions we need to make, like deciding what to wear. Like For many, this can feel like a big doozy. Or, or deciding what to cook. Like We have to cook something three times a day, and the decision, it just gets crazy. Uh, or even some of those bigger life decisions, like where to go to college or who we should marry, or what we should do for a career, or, who, or how we should use our finances, or, or who we should spend most of our time with. There are so many decisions we have to make, both big and small in our life, that oftentimes can be difficult to make. And as followers of Jesus, we have a lot of guidance on how to make decisions. Uh, for example, if you're trying to figure out what to do for the rest of your life, it's super simple. <laughs> Like, your calling in life as a follower of Jesus is to make disciples. That's it. That's your purpose. Whether you're a farmer or a lawyer or an engineer or in business, a receptionist or a doctor, I hate to break it to you, it like really doesn't matter all that much. Like, we think it does, but in light of eternity, it really actually matters very little. I mean, yes, God has given us gifts and talents uh, and joys and passions that he does want to use, and we should pursue those things. But when we put all of our decisions in view of eternity, those decisions, they all of a sudden get really small. And the decisions we make with eternity in view, those decisions, they get a lot bigger. And and maybe, maybe you've heard the old pastor saying, I say this often, there are two things in life that last forever. It's the word of God and the souls of men. And so invest wisely. And the decision we'll see today like the, cho- the choice that everyone has to make, it is the single biggest decision we'll ever have to make in our entire life. And I hope and pray that you'll see it's actually a very simple decision. You know, as I've said, t- today we've got two men and a choice. Uh, and to make uh, where we're going a little bit more clear, here's our main idea. God sent John to bear witness to Jesus, the Son of God. And all of this will come together in the end, but on our journey there, we're going to see, on our, way, on our way there, we're going to see two men and a choice. And the two men we'll look at today are in our main idea. We'll look at both John the Baptist and Jesus. Both are important. But what we can't miss is that Jesus is infinitely and eternally more important than John. Uh, and just to point out something that could be a little confusing today, the John that we're talking about in our passage is not the writer of the book of John. These are two different guys named John. Uh, Just a fun little helpful fact. The author of the book of John, he never actually refers to to himself in this book. John, uh, the guy who wrote the book of John, whenever he mentions the name John, he's referring to John the Baptist, uh, who we're going to give a nickname and call him John the Witness. Today, John the Baptist and John the Witness, uh, they're the same guy, just one guy with multiple nicknames, okay? So just try to stay with me. You know, last week our main idea was God sent Jesus to rescue his people out of darkness, and this week we'll see that God sent John to bear witness to Jesus. Uh, If Jesus was the guy with the flashlight that is coming to rescue us out of that dark alley, then John the Baptist is the guy that came to tell you that the guy that's coming will rescue you. Typically, you know, I'll walk through a passage line by line, and we'll still do that today, uh, but I'm going to piece it together by theme so we can see the bigger picture. And so that said, here's our outline for today. Number one, John the witness. Uh, number two, Jesus the light. And number three, the choice. Again, two men and a choice. 
Both John the Baptist and Jesus are important to the choice that we'll see today. They both play an important role in the, in the decision. But as I said before, Jesus is way more important. But I also don't want us to underestimate John. Uh, maybe we could say, if Jesus was uh, the main event of a life-changing show, John would be like the Uber driver that got you to the show. <laughs> Uh, nobody ever goes to a life-changing event and then talks about the Uber, Uber driver that got you there. But yet, if that Uber driver, Uber driver doesn't get you there, that show could not have been life-changing. Like, we don't want to underestimate that Uber driver. Uh, but come on, the Uber driver, he's just, he, he doesn't get the glory for the night. That's what we see with our two guys. Both are important, but only one of these guys is going to get the glory. Look at verse, let's look at verse 6 through 8 again to see our first point. This is what it says. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Uh, and this is where we start to get some of our language for today, as we see in verse 6, that God sent John. Uh, John didn't send himself. John uh, wasn't sent by another person. No, it says that God sent John. And then in verse 7, uh, we see that John came to bear witness about the light. And we know from last week, and we'll see more this week, that Jesus is the light, showing us that John came to be a, wit a witness for Jesus, which is where we get our first point from. Number one, John the witness. Uh, he's our Uber driver for today. You see that John was a witness as, at, at, the, as the, at the end of verse 7 and verse 8. It says, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And that's what it says. Again, if Jesus was the guy with the flashlight in the dark alley to rescue you, John would have been the guy to come and tell you that Jesus, the rescuer, was coming to help us be ready so that when he does come, he, uh, you would be able to decide. Are we going to follow him or not? And the author, he reiterates this down in verse 15, showing that Jesus, he is way more important than John. Look down at verse 15 in John 1. It says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John the witness, he makes it very clear that this show is not about him. He, like He's just the Uber driver. Uh, in the show, it is all about Jesus. But what I want to point out are a few significant things about John the Baptist, the guy who paved the way for Jesus. If we were to flip over to the Gospel of Luke, different book in the Bible, in Luke 1, We'd see more about John the Baptist and his mother and his father. In Luke chapter 1, we'd see that both John and Jesus were both in the womb at the same time. John's dad, he was a trusted priest at the time named Zechariah, and John's mother's, uh, her name was Elizabeth, and their family was related to Jesus' mother Mary. And in Luke chapter 1, we see that an angel came to John's father and told him that his son would do just as we see here that he would bear witness to Jesus. In fact, the angel that spoke these things to his father said he was sent from God in Luke 1.19. And that angel sent from God earlier said in Luke 1.14-17 that many would rejoice at John's birth and that John would be great before the Lord and John would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that, the, that he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and that he would go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and, disobedient, uh, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Like when we hear these things, we think, man, like this guy John, he's no joke. And you're right about that. 
But what we see in our passage is what the author made very clear. And it's that John's purpose was to point people to Jesus. And what I want to point out about John the Baptist today is not actually about John the Baptist, but more about Jesus and Christianity just in general. And one of the things that have helped solidify my faith compared to every other religion is that Jesus had multiple witnesses about his life. Like many people witnessed what he said and what he did. And not only that, Jesus was talked about thousands of years before Jesus actually came to earth. He was also witnessed by many while he was on earth and also after his death and resurrection. And what's interesting about all of this is that almost every other major world religion come from, uh, comes from one person who claims to have a special dream or vision. And the only person that witnessed those dreams and visions was the person that said they had them. Like nobody else witnessed what the one person saw for all these other religions, but that's not the case with Jesus. There are over 300 Old Testament prophecies that happened anywhere from 400 to several thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, and Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. I mean, Jesus, uh, just looking at those alone, are incredibly faith-building, many of which uh, speak of very specific things, like his betrayal and his death and his accusers. They speak of his character and his demeanor and his enemies and the extent of, the extent of his ministry and the line from which he'd be born, being born from a virgin, being born in a town called Bethlehem, that he would both prosper and be sacrificed, resurrected, and then ascend into heaven. I and mean, we could go on and on about these specific prophecies that were, that were talked about before Jesus came, that Jesus actually fulfilled, and many of which came from multiple different people in multiple different time periods. And then just to add to all of this, we, hear, we see here again with John the Baptist. Baptist. Like you, don't, you don't hear of many people uh, in religious circles who have a vision or a word from God that puts themselves down and elevates another person. In every other major world religion, the person with the dream and vision gets elevated in some way. Where John the Baptist, he elevated Jesus. And he himself was now, uh, we now know, was later beheaded and killed. John didn't come for himself. John came to be a witness to Jesus. And just as a quick side note for us today. As followers of Christ, we have the same purpose as John. We're to point others to Jesus. We're to be a witness for Jesus. And so just as a reflection question, maybe ask yourself, what is your life pointing to? Are we pointing others to Jesus? Again, we've got two guys today. John was the first less important man, but still important. Like he was the Uber driver that got people to the show. And secondly, uh, we've got the star of the show, Jesus. But let's keep reading to see what we can learn about Jesus. Uh, look at verses 9 and 10 in John 1. This is what it says. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. We saw, this, uh, we, we saw this idea last week, how Jesus is referenced as the light. In essence, uh, Jesus, he illuminates uh, and exposes the darkness in kind of in a good and a life-giving, flourishing way, seeing number two, Jesus the light. That's our second point. And in this point, we're also going to see Jesus uh, as referred to as the word, but the focus here, it's all about Jesus. And I want you guys to think about this idea of light with me for just a second. Like when you walk into a room, a dark room, what do you do? You turn on the light. And when you turn the light on, what happens? Uh, like you can see. <laughs> you don't bump into things. You don't trip. 
I mean, just thinking about walking around in the dark, it, it kind of t- took me back to my old camper days as a kid uh, when I had to get really good at this. Because you know what happened when I was a camper? I would climb off the top bunk, I would go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, pitch black, you know, middle of the woods, can't see a thing. I would climb down to the bottom of the bunk and realize, oh, wait, <laughs> I forgot my flashlight. And the one light switch for the cabin was next to the bathroom across the room. And in that moment, you're left with a dilemma. Like, do you go back up the ladder and search for your flashlight? Or do you go kind of secret agent style across the room? Well, as a middle school boy, what do you do? Of course, you go secret agent style across the room, praying as you slowly walk through the dark, hands kind of out in front of you, uh, kind of uh, fumbling around, hoping you don't bang your shins on the bunk or trip over the hundred fan cords that are just kind of all over the place uh, in the cabin or, or crush someone's most prized possession, uh, like the infamous throwaway camera that held all the cam- uh, camper memories. Remember those? Anybody? All right. The, or the absolute worst, just slip on someone's wet uh, towel. It was soaking wet, balled up on the floor. Like you learn real quick the importance of light. And after a few rough blows of walking around in the middle of the night in a pitch black dark cabin, uh, you just kind of learn, uh, which I have to say learning these uh, secret special skill, uh, the special set of skills came in handy as Daddy Eric uh, when I was walking around in the dark with my, uh, with my babies and uh, my wife who was trying to sleep because she was tired in the middle of the night. Uh, but imagine with me for a second if you saw middle school Eric or maybe Daddy Eric uh, walking around in a cabin or a bedroom really slowly, uh, kind of hands out in front, trying not to trip or slip or crush my shins, uh, but yet the light was actually on. <laughs> You'd think one of two things. Either one, I've completely lost my mind, or two, I just can't see. Well, uh, if the light is on, you know I can't see, and that's what we see here with Jesus in these verses. Jesus was a light for the world. Jesus is shining in the dark. The light is on, but many in the world are still walking around in the dark. Why? Because they can't see. That's the picture the author is giving us here. Jesus is revealing something to the world. He's communicating to the world, but the world can't see it. Again, we talked about this last week. Jesus is not only the light, but Jesus is also the word. Jesus is communicating and revealing truth to the world. I mean, just think about this. The 400 years before Jesus was born, they're often called the 400 years of darkness because nobody heard a word from God. It seemed like God had just left the scene. It seemed as if God wasn't speaking, as if God wasn't communicating. Those were called the dark years. And then the author in John chapter 1 shows us that the communicating and word-speaking light of Jesus came bursting onto the scene. And look down at verse 14 in John 1. It says, speaking of Jesus, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see here that Jesus, the light, comes shining and revealing the glory of God. He's showing the character of God after those 400 years of darkness. Seeing in turn, when people can't see the truth of Jesus, they're blinded to seeing God and his glory, just as it says in verse 14. We need to ask, what does that glory look like? What does that light look like? Well, verse 14 says, it's full of grace and truth. 
And so when people are blinded and can't see, in essence, they don't see the truth of God and they can't see the grace of God. We see this emphasized even more down in verse 16 to 18. Look what it says about Jesus. From from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Again, there is a lot here, but what does Jesus reveal as the light? Again, when Jesus reveals something, he's, re- he's revealing both grace and truth. When Jesus came into the world, his flashlight, so to speak, was the truth of God revealed in himself. Like he was the image of God. Revealing and showing the per- through the person of Jesus, he was, he was showing God's holiness. He was revealing his character and his perfection and his gentleness and his love and his mercy and his presence and his care and his power and his friendship and so much more. We could go on and on. We also see that Jesus, the light, came to, came to shine not just in the world, but also for each of his people personally, like a, like a perfect father to his children, for both you and for me. And when we look at Jesus coming down to us in the form of a person to live with his people, like we see in verse 14, we see the truth of God put on full display. That God desires to have a deep, real, consistent connection and intimacy with his people. Seeing that God is a part of our every move and thought and action and that he's always with us. All these are just some of the incredible truth that Jesus brought shining into the world. He came with both grace and truth. He came to show the world the way in which God made us and intended for us to live. And, and this, is, this, this God that loves us and shines light, a light into the world, we see in our passage, he is full of grace. He's full of ongoing and never-ending forgiveness and mercy. And we're going to talk more about this. But for now, what we know from God's word is that the forgiveness and grace and truth is only available for those who can see the light. And you know what I love about our passage today? It makes, it makes very clear how people who are stumbling around in the dark can open their eyes to see the light of Jesus. Look at verse 11 through 13 of John 1. It says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 13 shows us that Jesus came to his people but yet his people rejected him. It says they did not receive him. Uh, And just a little bit of a background to this, when Jesus came to earth, many of his people, the people of Israel, uh, they were considered God's chosen people. They They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for their rescuer during those 400 years of darkness. Uh, but, when they, uh, but they were disappointed with Jesus when he came. And they rejected Jesus and their res- as their rescuer. They rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They thought their rescuer, they thought he would come mounted on a horse with full politi- political and military power. But Jesus didn't come that way. He came as a baby born in a small podunk town called Bethlehem in a manger with smelly animals. And so when Jesus came to earth, Jesus didn't come as a great military force, but rather he came as a meek and gentle, humble servant who performed great miracles 
and he also healed many people, but yet he was rejected by the very people that were looking for him. They were searching for their rescuer, but he was right, and he was right in front of them, but yet they didn't like what they saw, so they rejected him. But yet verse 12, in contrast, tells us some incredible news. It says, look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Y'all, this is rich. We're just going to break this apart and just sit here for a second because we've seen our two men. We've seen John the witness and we've seen Jesus the, the light, but now we have the decision. Number three, the choice. And the choice every person on the planet has to make that will alter their eternity is pictured here in verses 11 through 13. In verse 11, we saw the choice to not receive Jesus, to reject Jesus. While yet verse 12, the alternate option, we see the choice to receive Jesus. That's the choice. We either receive Jesus or we reject Jesus. We said today we've got two men and a choice, and those two men are both John and Jesus, and the choice is either to receive Jesus or reject Jesus. And, and if you've been around Christianity for a while, maybe you're asking or thinking, wait a second, like, do we choose Jesus or does God choose us? <laughs> and our passage today actually says yes to both. The choice is put in the hands of people with the responsibility to receive Jesus, while at the same time we'll see in verse 13 that God does all the work. We have to hold this tension in place because the Bible holds this tension in place. And John's purpose in the matter of the choice was to tell the world, hey, like, receive Jesus. Pick Jesus. John was saying, and is screaming to the world almost, saying, uh, Jesus is the guy you want. Almost like he's kind of tapping on your shoulder, saying, hey, pick Jesus. Pick Jesus. He's like jumping and dancing in the background, pleading with you to pick Jesus and to receive him. And Jesus at the same time is saying, uh, hey, pick me, receive me, choose me, don't reject me, receive me. And maybe you're thinking, that sounds great. Yes, I want to receive Jesus. But how do I receive Jesus? Well, verse 12 tells us. It's so simple. It says, you believe in his name. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And maybe you're how I was when I was new to the faith. And you're like, that sounds great, but what in the world does it mean uh, when so we say Christ? Well, it means Messiah. That's what Christ means. It means Messiah. And you're like, great. What does that mean? I still don't get it. Uh, well, to put it more simply, it means Jesus, the rescuer, the deliverer. It means that we believe that Jesus came to rescue us. It would be like saying we trust the guy who came around in the dark alley enough to follow him. And when we trust and believe in Jesus, when we believe that Jesus is our rescuer, we're believing that he has taken us and cleansed us of our sin, everything we've done wrong, forever. That he has washed us completely white as snow by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. When we believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to save us, to rescue us by acknowledging that, when we acknowledge that, we receive Jesus. That's what happens. That's it. It's that simple. That's all it takes. We say, Jesus, I believe. And through that belief, we receive Jesus. And if you've not yet received Jesus, I want to call you to say, today to say to God, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus' work at the cross has done everything necessary to save me. And you know that word, believe, is a regular and it's a recurring word used throughout the book of John. 
In the 21 chapters of John, uh, that word believe, it's used almost a hundred times. New City Church, we will be calling people to believe in Jesus over and over and over again throughout the book of John. And I want to call you to live urgently and to build relationships with people who do not believe and bring them here on Sundays to hear about who Jesus is and pray that their eyes would be open to see that they would believe in the name of Jesus. Because as we know, the choice to receive Jesus, it is an eternal decision. It will alter eternity for every soul that makes the decision to receive Jesus. But in all of this, what I don't want us uh, to miss, what comes with, I don't want us to miss what comes with receiving Jesus. And believe me, the benefits of receiving Jesus, they are astounding. And I want you to hear me very clearly on this. When I say benefits, I'm not talking about a better life. I'm not talking about more money. I'm not talking about better friends or a bigger house, more friends, a fancy car, and a life full of rainbows and butterflies. <laughs> like, not at all. I hate to be a little bit of a... <laughs> Of gory and direct, but as I said earlier, our first guy, John the Baptist, who, who pointed to Jesus, he was beheaded and murdered for, for being a follower of Jesus. I mean, listen, being a, being a Christian does not mean we get better life circumstances. No, being a Christian simply means we have incredible hope in the middle of whatever life circumstances come our way, both the good and the agonizing ones. No matter what comes our way, Jesus is our steady rock and a firm foundation. You know, one of, these, one of the things that uh, give us hope, one of the benefits are that by receiving Jesus, verse 12 tells us, this is what it says, we're given the right to become children of God. The second half of verse 12. New City Church, hear this today. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have decided to receive Jesus, just like the author of the book of John describes in our passage, this is your status. And if you're here today and you haven't received Jesus, I want to paint a picture of what you're missing out on. Because believe me, it is absolutely astounding. This truth that we see here in verse 12, many have said that this is like the apex of Christianity. I want to paint a picture for you about the incredible beauty of this truth, being called the children of God. I want you to think with me for a second. Uh, imagine with me, you see a 16-year-old kid we're going, to call, we're going to call him Jack. And Jack is about to be released out of ju juvie, and he had been in juvie, the juvenile detention center for several years for multiple different crimes he faced as a younger teenager. And what we know about Jack was that as a young child, as a young boy, he was put up for adoption but never adopted. Jack, Jack was uh, born, went through an adoption agency, but because of various challenges he faced, he was never adopted. And he moved from foster home to foster home, struggled in school. And at the, age of, at the age of 14, he runs away. He quits school, goes to the streets, facing crime after crime after crime, putting him in jail as a young kid in juvie. Well, imagine with me, on the day he is to be released, they look at Jack and say, your slate is clean. Your criminal record is completely free of any charges. And he's like, oh man, that's great. Like he's thankful, he's excited, he gets a new fresh start. And this is what I want to point out. This is often how we think of salvation. Like when we receive Jesus and we believe in Jesus, we think, oh great, I've got a clean slate. My record is clean, which is absolutely true. But imagine with me, 
if the judge who released the boy who told him his record was clean, what if he took off his court robe, walked him down to the next judge and said to that other judge, I want to adopt Jack as my son. And Jack, who was once fatherless, without parents, living on the streets, dropped out of school, leading him to juvie. On that same day, his record was pronounced clean. That same judge adopts him as his son, takes him to his house, cleans him up, gives him a bedroom, new clothes, a nice warm meal, shows him the refrigerator, gives him full refrigerator uh, rights, and says, whatever is here, it's yours. And then after Jack has his first meal with his new father, amazed at all that has happened to him. His new father, the judge, calls him to his office, shows him the court papers, showing him his new last name, and says to him, you're now my son. I love you. You're mine forever. And no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you will always be my son. And Jack at this point is in shock because he had never seen or experienced any kind of love like this because before everything was dependent on how Jack behaved. And he had never been loved without any conditions put upon it. And then the judge, Jack's new father, uh, takes Jack over to his filing cabinet, pulls out uh, the envelope and shows him a piece of paper with the ink kind of still on the paper, still wet from the clear new signature. And on that piece of paper, Jack looks and sees with his new last name. He is put on the judge's full inheritance. Like the house, the car, all the money, it's all his. He says to him, everything that is mine is now yours. You're now my son. New City Church, this is what God has done through the gospel. This is what he has done for us. He looks at us and says, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you're now my child. And not only do we become children of God with a new status, a new identity, but we also get, as God's children, a new inheritance. Because no matter whether you're adopted into the family or born into the family, you get an inheritance. And you know what's really cool about the Christian life? We actually get both. We're both adopted as God's children and we're also born into the family through what we call the new birth. And you know what's neat about being born into the family as God's children? Beginning at our new birth, at the point in time when we receive Jesus, God begins to make us look like him. And we're slowly transformed into his image. So much so that when people look at us, they can say, hey, you're really starting to look like your father. And when God is our Father, y'all, that is an incredible blessing because we begin to reflect his image. Verse 12, again, look at it. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And look at, look at the next verse, verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Again, we're adopted into God's family, adopted as God's children, but here uh, we see we're also born into God's family. And as verse 13 shows us, we're born not of blood, not because of any natural descent, not because of our ethnicity or who we're born from. Uh, again, it says not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh or the will of man. Our new birth was not caused because of our lineage, not because of our will, it says, not because of our sincerity, trying to believe hard enough nor because of any effort that we make. Being born into God's family has nothing to do with us or our effort, but verse 13 shows us it has everything to do with God. The kid in our story, Jack, 
He was not adopted because of anything he did. He wasn't made part of the judge's family because he tried really hard or had any special family members or because he was obedient. No, he was made the judge's child solely because of the judge's love and compassion. Because the judge chose him as his son. As his son. I mean, if it were up to Jack's effort uh, or his obedience, he never would have measured up. You see, church, this is the gospel. This is our identity. When we receive Jesus, this is what we receive. We receive a new father. We receive a new status, a new identity, and a new inheritance, and all because we're considered children of God. And when we choose and receive Jesus, this is what we receive. And to end our time today, there's one more incredible benefit I want to point out that comes with receiving Jesus. Look at verse 16. It says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. When we're bonded to Jesus as his children, when we're following Jesus, we receive grace upon grace. A never-ending flow and supply of God's grace. Jack, in our story, his new dad provides for him a never-ending supply of grace and forgiveness, of continually getting and receiving what he did not earn and he did not deserve. Because let's just be real for a second. Just because he had a new dad, a new inheritance, doesn't mean he was changed instantaneously. No, he likely had some rough edges that needed a little love and care. But every day Jack wakes up, his new dad, his new dad response was, I'm proud of you. You're mine. I'm pleased with you. Christian, hear that today. God the Father, who is full of mercy and grace, he has a never-ending supply of that grace. He has grace upon grace. God looks at you and says, son, daughter, I'm proud of you. I'm pleased with you. Because when he looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. That's the heart of, of God. That's the, that's the heart that God the Father has towards his children. And if you have received Jesus, that's the heart of God towards you. Soak in that today. Your Father, God the Father, is pleased with you. He has grace upon grace readily available for you. And if you're here today and you haven't received Jesus, receive him today. Say to God, God, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. I believe that his work at the cross was sufficient. And when you do that and acknowledge your belief in Jesus, God brings you into his life. And he calls you his child. He, he calls you his own. And he looks at you and he says, I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. No matter what you've done, past, present, and future, no matter where you've been, he says to you, you are mine. And guess what? I've got an inheritance for you. Would you receive Jesus today if you have not? He is waiting on you to call you his child. I want to beg and plead with you to receive Jesus today. Let's pray. God, we, what an incredible benefit we get in the gospel. God, you call us your children and you provide grace upon grace upon grace. And you say, son and daughter, I'm proud of you. You're loved. You're mine. I've got an inheritance for you. Father, if there are people in this room or watching online that have not put their faith and trust in Jesus, if they have not received Jesus, Father, I pray that you would, uh, that they would do that today. 
that they would call upon the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe. God, rescue me. Father, we ask for salvation today. We ask this all in Jesus' name.